Life's Everyday Mysteries Solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I think with uh, Valentine's Day coming up on Wednesday, it's uh, time to talk a little bit about love. So why don't we get things going with a question about that topic? Here we go. To whom can we attribute the quote, a bird may love a fish, but where would they build a home together? Who said that? If you know the answer, 514-790-0800, or of course you can text 514-800. And those are also the numbers for any science-related question that you may have. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to separate fact from myth, sense from nonsense, and to uh, keep you guys up to date on what is happening in the world of science. <clears throat> well, in celebration of uh, the upcoming Valentine's Day, it is time to smell the roses. You know that there are more red roses sold on Valentine's Day than on any other day of the year. And that's because uh, they hold a special place among flowers, particularly because of their associations with romance. In Greek mythology, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, fell in love with the mortal shepherd Adonis. When he was gored by a wild boar, she rushed to his aid, but as she brushed by a wild rose bush, her skin was pierced by its thorns. Aphrodite's tears mixed with her blood and dripped on the rose bush, which thenceforth produced the red roses <clears throat> that came to symbolize love and passion. Cleopatra is said to have covered her boudoir with rose petals when she welcomed Mark Antony, and guests at Roman orgies supposedly had their passions flamed by the scent of rose water in the air. The simplest form of rose water was produced by steeping rose petals in water. This certainly smelled like roses, but did not have exactly the same bouquet as a freshly picked flower. Rose fragrance is a complex mixture of dozens of compounds, some of which are water-soluble, others are not. For example, geraniol, a major component of rose aroma, is water-soluble. But uh, beta-damascenone, another important contributor, is not. A much more fragrant rose water became available with the introduction of the alembic, a basic distillation apparatus generally attributed to the Islamic alchemist Jabir ibn Haya in the ninth century. The alembic was a rounded flask with a long neck that to this day is identified with the practice of alchemy. A substance placed in the flask is heated from below and the vapors formed and travel through the long neck where upon cooling they condense to a liquid that can be collected as it drips out from the end. When rose petals were placed in the alembic along with water, the steam that formed helped to vaporize the volatile components. The product of such steam distillation is what we call the essential oil of the rose and floats on top of the aqueous layer, so-called hydrosol, that contains the water-soluble components. It is this hydrosol that is generally referred to as rose water. The essential oil 
also known as attar of roses, is used in perfumery, while rose water can be used to flavor beverages or sweets such as marzipan and Turkish delight. Rose attar can also be produced by agitating the petals in a vat with a solvent such as hexane. Such solvent extraction draws out the fragrant compounds along with waxes and pigments. Subjecting the extract to vacuum removes the solvent that can be recycled and leaves behind a waxy mass that is then treated with alcohol. The alcohol dissolves the fragrant components, and when it is evaporated under low pressure, the essential oil, or sometimes called the absolute, is left behind. It can take more than 2,000 flowers to produce a gram of oil, which means that rose attar is very expensive. This, uh, unfortunately, invites adulteration generally by dilution with oil of geranium, which is rich in geranium, but is much cheaper. There's no health issue here, but such extended oils should not be referred to as pure attar of roses. It's not surprising that a popular flower, like the rose, should have invited investigation for possible medicinal properties over the ages. The ancient Greek physician, Dioscorides, recommended an elixir of roses cooked in wine for headaches, while Native Americans treated colds, coughs, and fevers with various concoctions derived from the flowers, leaves, or roots of the plant. Rose water has also been used cosmetically, incorporated into creams for its supposed anti-inflammatory properties. Such traditional uses, while mostly anecdotal, have stimulated some serious research into potential medicinal properties, especially since roses do contain numerous terpenes and glycosides and flavonoids and anthocyanins with potential pharmacological effects. Unfortunately, virtually all the studies have been carried out on animals or in cell culture with a paucity of human data. For example, aromatherapists have claimed that rose essential oil can have a soothing, sleep-inducing effect. However, the citations provided deal with mice. When mice are put to sleep with a barbiturate, the sleeping time increases if their food is supplemented with some specific rose extracts. Only specific extracts work, and only at doses far greater than any to which humans would be exposed. Furthermore, the extracts were ingested not inhaled. Rose extracts have also been claimed to have a pain-killing effect. What's the evidence here? When mice are treated with an alcoholic extract of roses and then are placed on a hot plate, they flick their tails less frequently than in the absence of the extract. Hardly enough to warrant a prescription for humans. As far as purported antimicrobial effects go, Rose essential oil has been shown to be effective against a variety of microorganisms, but that's in a petri dish. Nothing surprising here. Numerous plant extracts show such effects, but that's a long way from showing an effect in human infections. While roses may have no practical medicinal effects, their visual splendor, striking fragrance, have come to be associated with affection and uh, appreciation of the beauty of life.
not everything has to have a practical importance. There are things in life that should just be enjoyed for their beauty. And uh, I don't think anyone can debate the beauty of rose. And what a great gift a bouquet of roses is on Valentine's Day. So it comes as no surprise, as at the beginning, that there are more roses that are going to be sold next Wednesday than on any other day of the year. And surprisingly, that includes uh, Mother's Day. I also mentioned in this uh, little discussion of, of roses that the uh, ex extraction of the essence of roses, uh, the essential oil, uh, originally involved the use of the alembic. And that's a classical uh, chemical apparatus uh, that you know, was used by the alchemists, and we don't use this anymore. We have proper distillation equipment. But um, it being a classic symbol, I, I really appreciate having one, and I do have one, which sits in, in my office. And uh, it really is the original symbol of, uh, of chemistry. Well, you're listening to The Dr. Joe Show, and it's time to uh, check what is going on in traffic. We'll be right back. Okay, I have a whole plethora of answers to the question that I asked about uh, to whom we can attribute the quote, a bird may love a fish, but where would they build a home together? And uh, let's go to Neil from Greenfield Park. Hi, Neil. Hello, Dr. Joe. Hi. So what do you say? I believe it's Tevia on the Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, absolutely. I think that was pretty easy. It's one of the most interesting and famous quotes from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And, uh, of course, it encapsulates the sort of the bittersweet reality uh, when love has to transcend social boundaries. And uh, Tevye, of course, is interested in marrying off his daughters, and, and there are all kinds of boundaries there. One of them is destined to marry an older man, one someone who's uh, Russian and not Jewish. So anyway, that's where the expression, a bird may love a fish, but where would they build a home together, comes from. Very good. Do you know who was the original Tevye on Broadway? Uh, Zero Mostel? Yes, very good. And, and of course, who played Tevye in the movie? Topol. Topol, very good. How many times have you seen the show? <laughs> Probably three or four times, but I also saw the uh, Norman Jewish in the uh, documentary recently, which I really found interesting. Uh, a great time. Yes, it great was, it's, it's excellent. It's excellent. Uh, there were, of course, a number of other actors who played uh, Tevye. Herschel Bernardi was, was one. Uh, Theodore Bikel was one. Uh, but, yeah, Zero Mostel was really the, the prototype uh, Tevye. Okay. Yes. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. All right, so since we had that question answered, uh, let's get a couple of others out there. Uh, why would someone eat miracle berries? Why would someone eat miracle berries? And uh, one more. In 1936, German chemist Gerhard Schroeder was looking to make a new insecticide, hoping to make progress in the fight against hunger in the world. What did he accidentally discover through this effort? Okay, so 
Let me repeat, why would someone eat miracle berries? That's one question. Second one is about German chemist Gerhard Schroeder in 1936 who was looking for a new insecticide, but in the process made an accidental discovery. What discovery was that? So once more, 514-790-0800 is the phone number, and you can also text to 514-800. And of course, it goes without saying, that uh, you can also ask whatever question you may have in uh, in the scientific realm uh, doesn't have to be about uh, you know answering my my questions. Okay, well we did already talk about uh, roses on Valentine's Day, and they are indeed emblematic of 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 that day. But there's something else, another gift that is very often given together with roses. And that, of course, is a box of chocolates. Well, let's get something straight right off the bat. Chocolate is not an aphrodisiac, and it does not cause people to fall in love. On the other hand, it may lift our spirits and uh, perhaps even offer some protection from the damaging effects of high blood cholesterol when you're talking about uh, dark chocolate but that is very iffy. The aphrodisiac story is an ancient one. It goes back all the way to 1519 and the first visit of the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortes to Mexico. Cortes found much to his liking, in particular the Aztec princess Dona Marina. Apparently, the affection was returned because the princess introduced Cortes to a drink made from the pods of a tree, which the Aztecs called chocolatl, or food of the gods. The concoction was also laced with dried chili peppers, and as Dona Marina said, would stimulate amorous adventures. I wonder who was around to take down that quote. Cortes must have been impressed by the effects because on his return to Spain, he presented Emperor Charles V with a sample of cocoa. That's, of course, what we call the substance today. Within a few years, Europeans were indulging in chocolate and singing its praises. Everyone except nuns, that is. They were forbidden to partake of chocolate's pleasures because of the potential consequences. But alas, chocolate does not have aphrodisiac properties. The myth can be ascribed to the presence of general stimulants like caffeine, theobromine, and uh, the uh, recently discovered anandamide in chocolate. Chocolate actually contains over 300 compounds. And that's not surprising, of course. Uh, many, many natural products, plant products, fruits, vegetables, etc., are very, very complex mixtures. And uh, some of these come with imposing names like furfural alcohol, dimethyl sulfide, phenylacetic acid, and phenylethylamine. It is this last amphetamine-like substance which has been alluringly labeled as the chemical of love. People in love may actually have higher levels of phenylethylamine, usually abbreviated PEA, in the brain, a surmise from the fact that their urine is richer in a metabolite of this compound. In other words, 
people thrashing around in the throes of love pee differently from others. This observation has stimulated the following thought process. Falling in love is associated with higher PEA levels. Chocolate contains PEA, therefore chocolate can make us fall in love. Not so. Blood levels of phenylethylamine do not rise after eating chocolate. It seems that most of its enchanting compound is metabolized during digestion. Furthermore, chocolate isn't even a very good source of PEA. <laughs> there are far better ones. Sauerkraut contains much more phenylethylamine than does uh, uh, chocolate. But that doesn't make for nearly a as good a story on Valentine's Day, uh, uh, does it? Uh, it isn't so romantic to show up on uh, your lady friend's uh, doorstep clutching a jar of sauerkraut. On the other hand, it may be more healthy. You know, we're learning more and more about the benefits of uh, fermented uh, foods, such as sauerkraut, and how they can regulate our microbiome. Although you also have to be very careful with the, these uh, fermented products because they contain a lot of salt. All right. Uh, Kenny, of course, has an answer or at least thinks that he does. So let's go to Kenny. Kenny? No, it's, it's Kenny. Uh, it's a Chinese New Year today, Year of the Dragon, uh, Dr. Joe. It's the year of the dragon. Very I'm, I'm good. Chinese, yeah. I'm Chinese. I bring my, my father uh, this week when they have some uh, nice wow. tofu, you know. Yeah. Oh, Happy yeah, I got dragon the year. Before. Yeah. So uh, okay. why do someone eat miracle, miracle foods? Because it helps you digest your system. It contains folic acid that modernizes your stomach. Nope, that is not correct. All right, let's go to Peter from Jean Talon. Peter. Hello? Peter. Yes. Yes, you got an answer for me. No, I don't have an answer. I have a question for you. Is it okay? Okay. That will okay. do. Um, I wanted to know, all these pills, like the supplements for the vitamin C and zinc, is it mm -hmm. a good idea to take these supplements or do we get... A, do we get a, you know, all all of the all of yeah, all of the studies show that people who have an adequate diet in North America do not need the dietary supplements. Now, vitamin C and zinc are not uh, not harmful, certainly, and uh, there may be some benefit to taking that mix at the onset of uh, of a cold. Uh, there's some very moderate evidence that it will help reduce the symptoms if you take. Um, a combination of uh, a couple of thousand milligrams of, uh, uh, of vitamin C and maybe 40 milligrams of zinc at the onset of the common cold. But other than that, uh, there's no evidence that continued taking of, of, uh, of that mixture is, uh, is beneficial. Uh, you should be getting your vitamin C from eating uh, oranges and other citrus fruits and green peppers, etc. Vitamin C is quite easily had from the diet. All right. Anyway, uh, it is time to um, uh, see what's going on in the world. Uh, 
check for news and um, you're listening to the dr joe show and uh, after we hear what is going on in the world we will be right back you're listening to the voice of montreal news talk radio cjad 800 and iheart radio station i think steve has been waiting for a while with a question he has to wait no more steve hi dr joe hi you're an old friend of mine. I used to go to oh, your yeah? lectures on uh, Sherbrooke Street when I was a much younger man. And I guess you were too. I was too. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm asking, uh, based on ketosis, but I eat a lot of uh, avocados. Uh, the general question is, what happens, well, first of all, what do you know about avocados? But uh, the I know that uh, they're... They're they're good to feature in your diet. I I tell you honestly, I I my breakfast almost every day is avocado toast uh, with a, a bowl of mixed berries uh, topped off with some fiber one and yogurt. That's yeah. that's my breakfast with with yeah. coffee. So yeah, I believe in uh, the, the benefits of avocado. Uh, yes, of course, they, they do contain fat, and therefore, obviously, they do have the nine calories per, per gram. But right. uh, the kind of fat is not the kind that will boost your blood cholesterol. And uh, there are a lot of studies uh, that have shown the benefits for eating uh, avocado. So I would say the only time that anyone has to worry about avocado is if they are worried about uh, weight control. Because obviously there are calories there. Yes, I'm not worried. So what, what is your? I have a stage four cancer, and I've had it since twelve, uh, two thousand twelve. Um, but I haven't had any. What? Heat, what? Uh, what sort? Uh, what kind prostate, of cancer? Prostate. And mm -hmm. I haven't okay. had any um, chemo or uh, uh, radiation. I've just been taking pills, and I feel fine. I feel great, actually. But I heard about what? What, um, uh, what do you mean by pills? What do you mean by pills? Um, uh, is the popular name is uh, is goodness um, <clears throat> uh, me! Don't tell me I've lost it. Uh, Extendi. Um, on the box, what does it say? Uh huh. Uh, okay. Now uh, has and. And there has been no chemotherapy or or surgery no. that was ever suggested. No, and the manufacturer pays for this because I haven't had anything mm -hmm. like that. It's part of it. Mm -hmm. But I've been having I've been taking nope. that now for something like six or eight years. And uh, very good. And and your PSA level is is controlled. Yes, it's point zero one for the last five four years. I think it is now. Uh, wow, probably four years. Uh, okay. It well, you're doing you, you're, you're doing very well. Yeah. Um, so, what so I, you what, what I, you want to attribute it to avocado? <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't um, put my doctors down like that uh, because I have uh, wonderful doctors looking after me. But I had heard this research from I think University of Texas where they had done uh, tests on uh, um, uh, animals, obviously, um, and they said that uh, the human uh, cells can function on uh, 
keto-based food or insulin-based food. But most cancers cannot function, cannot survive on uh, keto or fat, if you like. So uh, I've been feeding yeah. my cancers fat, six to eight avocados every day. Really? And That's a lot of avocado. Yeah, you get used to it. And then it only leaves, uh, and I've gradually worked up to trying to keep 10, 90% uh, of my calories from fat. Uh, it, it's hard to do because, you know, you have birthdays and Christmas and all the other things that interfere and you, and you, you can't just go to a party and eat avocados. But it, it has seemed to have some effect. And uh, you were talking about uh, things that uh, change your uh, pee. Well, <laughs> it does. It changes my uh, output to get a little bit green. Yeah. Well, but my question you know, really you know is what? That, yeah. Sorry? You know where the word avocado comes from? Uh, no, it comes from it comes from an Aztec, an ancient Aztec Aztec term for testicle. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting that you're you know you're finding at least some connection to those private parts. Yeah, well, it's the green that comes. I, I was also told that the green around the outside or under this under the skin is the most important part, and and, and I look for avocados that have greenish yellow rather than just plain yellow all the way through if possible. Well, I tell I, you, honestly, I mean, I you know, I've looked a lot into avocado research, but what I've always come across is effects on the heart, you know, from the, the nurse's health study and so-called health professionals follow-up study. And uh, they, they gathered data from thousands of Americans, you know, over about 30 years. And what they find is that subjects who ate, uh, you know, avocados with fair, some regularity had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. But I've never seen, um, I've never seen the connection to cancer that uh, that you mention. Uh, but I mean, I guess as, as long as you know you're not uh, concerned about uh, weight control and uh, everything looks good and your doctors agree with this i i mean i i would say that you know if you're successful keep doing whatever you're doing my my main question is this on with vegetables as they age they they change how much does that affect the nutritional value of the of in particular uh, the uh, it it affects it affects it some I mean some of the for example uh, uh, vitamin C uh, is liable to be oxidized and and you know that loses some of its uh, activity uh, but uh, as far as the fats go uh, it is the uh, Polyunsaturated fats, you know, the ones, the fats that have lots of double bonds in them that will react with oxygen and, and go rancid. But avocado does not fall into that category. Avocado contains saturated fats, and those are, are pretty stable. Uh, <clears throat> the big concern with avocado, of course, is that it goes dark, right? It goes dark when it's exposed to, uh, to the air. And uh, that's because it contains an enzyme called polyphenol oxidase that is, uh, that is released when you cut an avocado open. And that enhances reaction with, uh, with oxygen. But, but the, the coloring does not uh, detract from the nutritional value of it. But I guess if you're eating 
fresh avocados every day, you're not worried about it going brown. Love to man to manage them because you know I buy like thirty six at a time, and I have to uh, I have to grade them so that I can have some today, some tomorrow, and some the next day. And mm-hmm. so it's a challenge. Uh, but uh, it's good to know that. Well, you have an interest. You have an interesting story there, but you know this is something that that uh, at this point we put in the realm of anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it would be really neat to see uh, a proper randomized controlled double-blind study on, uh, I guess maybe you couldn't really do a double-blind because if you're eating an avocado, you know you're eating avocado. <laughs> but at least you could you, you, you could do a, 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 a single-blind study. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be uh, very interesting, you know, if the researcher didn't know which subjects were eating avocado and which were not, and they looked at the results. But, yeah, it's very hard. Anyway, what, you know. Good, but I, I appreciate that you say that really there's nothing going to go wrong with them as they get older, whether they're, you know, really no, fresh. No, it's not. No, there's, there's certainly not going to be any anything toxic that is produced. Okay, well, thanks very much for that very interesting story, and uh, all the best to you. Thank you. Okay, all right, you're listening to Dr. Joe Show. It's time once more to check what's going on in the world of traffic, and after that, we'll be right back. Okay, I do have a correct answer for my question about Gerhard Schroeder, and it comes from James, uh, who, of course, knows his science. And the question was about this uh, chemist who was looking to make a new insecticide, 1936, and he accidentally made a discovery. And that discovery was nerve gases, sarin and tabon. Uh, He was looking for insecticides uh, in a chemical family called organophosphates. And uh, he found uh, these two substances, which were extremely, extremely toxic. And, of course, they have been used in, um, in warfare. But it was an accidental discovery, although uh, there is some evidence that once he had discovered it, he did collaborate with the Nazi government to synthesize the sarin and the tabun. All right, so I've got only one other question hanging out there, and why would someone eat miracle berries? I also got a message from uh, our producer that we had a call from Mexico City, of all places, but the the call dropped. Uh, So there are people listening to us way down there, and the caller wanted to know uh, how to preserve red roses. Well, uh, you put them in water that's not too hot and not too cold in lukewarm water, and you you cut the stem. You cut them at an angle to increase the surface area where nutrients could be absorbed. And very often, the roses come with a little package of, of food for the roses. If you don't have that, you can put in a little bit of sugar into the water. That will serve as a a nutrient. Uh, Some people also say that that a spoonful of vinegar in the water helps. I don't know if there's real evidence uh, for that. So another rosy story for you. Well, Valentine's Day also stimulates talk of pheromones. So what's a pheromone anyway? The word itself was coined from the Greek ferein, meaning to carry, and hormon, which means to excite. Pheromones, therefore, are molecules which carry excitement. 
they were first noted in insects, which released these chemicals to attract mates. In the early 1970s came an even more interesting discovery. Androstenol, a compound isolated from swine testes of all places, was found to be a sex attractant for pigs. This was the scent that prompted the female pig to assume the appropriate position for copulation. The effect was so dramatic that androstenol was soon made available to farmers in a spray can to facilitate insemination. A tiny whiff of the substance and the sow was ready to peacefully accept the inseminating rod. So the usual procedure was for the farmer to uh, spray the androstenol in front of her nose, sometimes sitting on her back to kind of mimic the weight of a male pig. Uh, but instead of the expected organ from the male pig, what she got was the inseminating rod. Uh, well, the androstenol was found to be present in human underarm secretions as well. So the question was, what is a pig sex attractant doing in human sweat? Had researchers accidentally stumbled upon a substance that was a human sex attractant as well? That is not as outlandish as it first sounds. After all, why did Elizabethan lovers place an apple in their armpits until it was saturated with sweat before offering this love apple to their sweetheart? Why does a dancing woman twirl below her partner's armpit? Why do artists so often portray women with raised arms? Doesn't the Venus de Milo seem to directly invite us to sniff her armpit? Why is it that when women are asked to strike a sexy prose, they automatically raise their arm and place their hand behind their neck? Could there be something magical in armpit fragrance? Well, researchers now began to sweat over the problem. In an English theater, seats sprayed with androstenol seemed to attract more women. Of course, rose odor might do the same. So might uh, putting chocolates on the seat. When men were unknowingly anointed with androstenol, they were assessed to be more attractive by women, but were downgraded by men. Intriguing observations, but not the stuff of heart science. Heart science did finally break through in the 1980s with a series of remarkable publications by George Pretty of the Monell Chemical Census Center in Philadelphia and uh, Winifred Cutler, then at the University of Pennsylvania. These scientists showed that application of an extract of male armpit secretions placed on the upper lip of female volunteers resulted in the women having more regular menstrual cycles. Furthermore, when female armpit extract was applied in the same fashion, the women began to have synchronized periods. There certainly seemed to be some sort of chemical communication going on. Now, I must add to this, though, that while this research is, is certainly captivating, it has not been reproduced, and it's controversial. Uh, whether or not women's uh, menstrual cycles really do synchronize when they come to live together, such as in a dorm, uh, it's highly controversial. Uh, there are some uh, who believe that this is the case, but so far there really have 
not been studies to, to replicate that effect. Anyway, Winifred Cutler then went one step further. She studied the sexual behavior of young women who had what we would call female essence derived from armpit secretions applied under the nose three times a week for about three months. These ladies showed significantly more weekly sexual activity than control subjects treated with a placebo. The female essence somehow either increased desire or made the wearer more attractive to men. And then science seems to have taken a leap of faith. Soon Dr. Cutler was selling pheromone 10 colon 13, as it was called, a synthetic version of the supposed active ingredient in this female essence. The actual composition of the product has not been revealed, and the only evidence of efficacy comes from anecdotal testimonials from customers. Jan from Arizona tells us that men have been flying around me like honeybees, and Thelma from New Jersey had to rename her motorhome the Love Shack. Well, once again, what we're talking about here is uh, anecdotal evidence. And I think it is um, highly suspect. Uh, the actual essence, I suspect, in, uh, in this Fairmont 1013 is uh, something that uh, is extracted from armpit sweat or synthesized in the lab. I, I think it is uh, androstenol or some closely related chemical. And uh, aside from these kind of uh, anecdotes, uh, I have not seen any proper randomized trials that would show any efficacy. But there are numerous similar products that are sold online uh, alleging that they have pheromone-like effects and that they can induce romantic interludes between people. Uh, as I said, I'm highly suspicious of these kind of things. But giving a box of chocolates, some nice roses on Valentine's Day, for sure can generate some romantic adventures. And that is it for us today. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.